Um, my, up until the end of April, we're, we are on Sundays uh, looking at some of the statements Jesus made in the Gospels. This week, I want us to look at Mark chapter 9, uh, 33 to 48. And as you can see, my title is Being Radical with Sin. Sounds a bit heavy, doesn't it? I'm particularly looking at verses 43 to 48 of Mark 9, but I'm going to read the whole 33 to 48 just to, to keep the verses in their context. And then I'll unpack the context a bit. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, Jesus asked them, what were you arguing, this is the disciples, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they'd argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them, And taking the child in his arms, he said, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. We told him to stop, because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. For no one who does a miracle in my name can, in the next moment, say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worm that eat them do, do not die. Worms that eat them do not die, and the fire is not quenched. Well, that's a happy one, isn't it? Do you like that one? Thought you'd enjoy that one this morning. Should have left it for Raj to pack it, unpack it, really. But I've got three points as usual: facing the truth, finding God's grace, and walking free, and a long introduction. And so we'll do my introduction first. The disciples had been arguing about which one of them was the greatest. I guess we would call that, at best, immaturity, and perhaps it's worse. Perhaps this wrong ambition, this self-centeredness, and so on. We would never do that, would we? We'd never compare ourselves to other people and go, well, I think I'm better than he is. <laughs> Sorry, I'm picking you up in the front row. Do, do, we would never do that, would we? No, of course we wouldn't. Jesus then says something to the to the disciples that cuts right across their argument. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. That's a challenge. In a world that's looking for profile, in a world that's looking for fame, that's looking to be recognized and applauded, Jesus says, if you want to be first, then you must be last. Not just last, he says, you must be the very last. We used to run cross-country at school. I was always last. Good for you. Anybody? 
one or two? Yeah, yeah hallelujah. I understand why we're on the same page, you and I, you know. <laughs> the problem is, I wasn't always the very last for a while, because my friend called, uh, I think it was Jim Caldwell, his name, he was bigger than me. And he'd go, and he'd get so far along, and the teacher would go to him, Jim, you need to stop now. And he'd stop, he'd turn blue, and, and I'd think, he'll stop me in a minute, and he'd look at me and go, you keep going. And so I was always the very last. That's so humbling. It just, you just feel such a failure. You can tell why I'm not into sport, can't you? Traumatized forever in that department of life. Not my thing at all. The very last. But Jesus said, if you want to be first, then you have to be the very last. So I must be first then. You must become the servant of all. That's not easy, is it? The servant of all will be taken for granted. The servant of all will not always be appreciated and will often go unnoticed. How many of you feel... You know, if you walk into a room and nobody notices you, how do you feel? Servants are often anonymous. They don't even get a thank you. And yet Jesus says, if you, if you want to be the first, you've got to be the servant of all. Jesus is the perfect example of being the servant of all. As the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians 2, 5 to 8, he speaks to us. He says, your attitude, our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being, in, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus then from that place of saying, You've got to be servant of all. Takes a little child who's nearby in the, in the, in the room. And um, uh, he, 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 I guess the child must have been part of the family. They're in this house. We don't know whose house. But it, it, it must have been a child who knew them. Otherwise, the child would go into hysterics. Because Jesus, you know, this is the disciples. And he brings the child right into the middle. And um, he says, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not really welcome me, but the one who sent me. There's something here about simplicity, about right attitude, about love. We're to welcome Jesus among us as we would welcome a child. And as we do that, actually, we're welcoming God our Father. In simplicity. Without guile. As a child, come. Come and be part of us. You know, when we see little children, we usually, unless if they're misbehaving, we think other things. But generally, we look at children and go, ah, don't we? Ah, and we draw them in and come. We don't think about guile. We don't think about their motives. We just welcome them. Come, come in. He says, welcome me like that. Welcome the Father like that. Come in. I think we did that this morning, you know. Come on, Lord. We're children. We're welcoming you as a child. We're saying, come amongst us. Then John, on behalf of all the disciples, asks another question and shows again that they still haven't got it. 
Teacher, says John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he's not one of us. Sounds a bit like jealousy. Do you know who we're with? Jesus drives out demons. You can't do that. You're not one of us. We're never like that, are we? You know the competitiveness between one church and another church. and We're not like them, are we? How often we can think of ourselves superior. Oh, we'd never admit it. You know, we'd use all the right words. But you know what? We stand in judgment on the people of God. And what they do and what they don't do so easily. And I feel God says, stop it. I had the privilege yesterday of doing the Holy Spirit Day for St. Barnabas Church. The Alpha Holy Spirit Day. Wasn't many there. And it was lovely. They're a great bunch. Such a good bunch. I want them to prosper. I want them to fly. I want them to grow. I want them to have huge impact. I want all the churches, all the guys we pray with on a Tuesday morning, thinking, come on, fly. Do I want to say we're top of the pile? No, don't care. Don't care. I want Jesus to be top of the pile. I want Jesus to be glorified with his people. It's wonderful. Bit of jealousy perhaps showing itself with John. I don't know. Other people can't do these things. Can they, Lord? Because they're not one of us. And Jesus just cuts right across and says, don't stop him. No one who does a miracle in my name can at this next moment say anything bad about me. Whoever is not against us is for us. People do many things in Christian life. People leave churches and start new churches. And you think, well, that's crazy. And it might be, but you know what? Our job is to bless them, not stand in judgment. If I can serve, I will serve. Because we're not here. It's God's business. It's God's business to look after his people. It's God, Jesus said, I will build my church. I don't understand everybody's motives. I don't understand every leader's motive. If you go to Tanzania, you find there's a church on every street corner of every label you can imagine. Remember when I went there and there was two, two guys, the Assemblies of God pastor and, and his assistant called Collins. And they came, that we, we put a conference on for three days, which I, looks like we're going to be doing again. Um, and we'll have 200 leaders from all over the place, of all shapes and sizes and, you know, and I remember going to these guys and I'm, I'm praying for them. And I, I said to this guy, I said, and how big is your church? He said, I have seven people. So you've got a leader and the assistant and seven people. I, I can't get my head around that. It doesn't make much sense. But you know what? That's not my business. Our business is to serve, to bless, to encourage, to help them grow. To learn to relate together, not be in comp- competition. See, I think... Because Tanganyika, as it was, was very much a British colony years and years ago. And I think we imported something of independence in church. I think we imported this church, that church, the next church. So what they've done, they modeled it. There's this church, that church, the next church. I'm doing it on my own. We have to go and help them. Not to judge them, but to help them build relationship, friendship, stand shoulder to shoulder. Begin to realize Jesus has a plan and it's bigger than any one of them. And it's called the church. kingdom of God is for everyone who will put their trust in Jesus 
And everyone who is in Christ can do the works of the kingdom. I mean, we, we, we watch TV, don't we? We watch the, the superstars performing miracles and the crowds going, wow, and applauding. That's, ew, some of that leaves me cold. And I, I love to see a move of God in a crowd. But you know what really excites me more? When the people in the crowd are out doing this stuff. That's far more exciting. When individuals stumbling along dare to believe that Jesus can use them to heal the sick. Dares to believe that God can use them. That, that's by far, by far the better thing. That's what I'm passionate about. That's what I'm passionate about here. To see all of us equipped to go and do the works of Jesus. And now Jesus gets really radical and his language is changing. There's a particular lesson here for parents, but not, it's actually not about children, but there is a lesson. He says, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it'd be better for them if a large millstone were hung around his neck and they were thrown into the sea. How important to bring up our children that we have responsibility for to know and love Jesus. Not to behave as parents in such a way that we cause them to stumble in their Christian walk. But to help them and to guide them. To nourish them in God. But actually Jesus is not particularly talking about children really. What he's really talking about is the little babies. The baby Christians. To to care, to cherish for, for new people coming in through Alpha, through other means. How do we help them grow? We don't want to cause people to stumble. We don't want to cause offense. We want to help them grow and mature. And you know what? I'm still a child. And I don't want anybody to cause me to stumble. And I don't want to cause you to stumble because we're here to help each other grow and develop as men and women of God. That's our calling. It's wonderful. Perhaps we can get better at these things, methinks. And Jesus goes on. And usually in the main, we, we apply what Jesus says in the next bit, metaphorically and rightly so. However, I think Jesus is actually being quite literal as he, as he spoke, in that sin in our lives needs radically dealing with. So, bear with me, but I need to unpack this a little. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands going to hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. All sounds a bit horrible really, isn't it? Um, It's better for you to enter the kingdom with one eye than have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. I'm not actually going to unpack stuff about hell today. I'm going to leave that to Raj on another day. But I think what Jesus is saying is this. Sin needs to be radically faced and dealt with. It's that important. Sin destroys. Sin ruins lives. Sin shipwrecks families. That's what we're living with now. Our nation is living with the consequences of sin down through the last generation or two. 
And so what we have is broken families and, 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 and people with no sense of value, people who don't believe in God, people who... We've, we've turned our back on God and so sin is having full sway. It's distorted, it's destroyed, it's horrible. Sin needs to be radically faced and dealt with. But there's some good news. And the good news is this. Jesus has dealt with our sin in the most radical way. Doesn't he? There's nothing more radical than the cross. Coming up to Easter, there's nothing more radical than God himself being nailed to a cross in your place, in my place, because of my sin and your sin. That's radical. That's radical. That, that, that's offensive. That's like, well, you know, God, I'm not that bad. Yes, you are. That's why I'm on this cross. So Jesus is speaking here before the cross, but he's saying sin needs to be dealt with that radically. You cannot ignore it. And so Jesus dies on the cross in our place. There's no benefit to us, whatever, if now we are saved, we're still held captive to sin. It's like someone being locked up in a prison forever. Then someone comes along and says, let me take their punishment for them. And so they take the punishment and the prison doors opened. All that has to happen is for the person to walk free, and yet they never do. They stay captive when they don't need to because they've never known any different. They like it here. Their identity is in their sin. Their identity is in their captivity. And say, yeah, Jesus died, I'm forgiven. Yes, you're forgiven, but you're forgiven so you can walk free. Not just stay the way you've always stayed. That's denying what Jesus has done. He wants us to walk free of sin. When Jesus came, he came to set the captives free. Every one of us who put our faith in Jesus and been born again have had Jesus take our punishment on himself. He's opened the prison doors. We are free from sin's captivity. All we have to do now is learn to walk in our freedom. And it's foreign to us. Isn't it? It's foreign. We, you, you, it's even what I seem... What I'm saying seems to be foreign, the way you're looking at me, right? It's foreign. We say, oh yeah, I'm free, I'm forgiven. No, you know you're forgiven, but are you walking free? People are going, what's that mean? Well, let me go through my three points. Because to walk free, we need to be radical. And you need to understand that we, we must never think that sin doesn't matter because Jesus died. Yeah, we're forgiven, but sin still destroys. We still reap what we sow, and there's a better way. Jesus died to set us free. So here's my my three points. The first one, facing the truth. The first step in walking free from sin as a Christian is facing the truth about yourself. Facing truth about your sin, that thing that we're involved in, that behavior, that relationship, that attitude, that dependency, whatever it is, those things, they they need to be called what they are, sin. 
You see, sin in our lives will stop us enjoying the Christian life. We'll be forgiven and yet you'll be going around saying, why do I always feel miserable? Sin produces miserableness. Is that a good word? <laughs> it is now. Thanks for that. I've just put it here. Misery. misery. That's a better word. Yeah, that's, that sounds better. Sin produces misery. And it always will. Even if you're forgiven. Sin. If you keep living in sin, if you still live as a captive, you will be miserable. It will spoil every part of our lives. It always destroys. And the devil wants us to think that we are still captive. And so we start thinking, well, that's just the way I am. How often I talk to people about issues in their lives and they go, well, that's just me. Anybody ever said that? It's just the way I am. Just the way I'm made. Somebody says, it's genetic. <laughs> it's funny how we blame genes for everything now. Not my, Well, <laughs> I do, I do. My wife's called Jean. Just, just so you know, I, I definitely blame Jean for everything. Um, <laughs> We blame genes. You know, we're looking, we're always looking for an excuse, but rather than face the truth, it's always something else. It's somebody else's fault. It's just the way I am. It's my parents' fault. It's the way I was brought up. They went boo to me when they should have smiled at me. You know, we, we're, we're all people of, we're all victims, and I understand that we are, but Jesus died for that. He's died. It's all gone. We don't have to live in all of that stuff anymore. We are a new creation. And so we think that's just, the way I am. That uncontrolled temper. That alcohol we drink too much of. Those images that we focus on and get pleasure from, and yet somehow they always leave us feeling guilty and unclean. Those secret thoughts and fantasies that no one else knows about. That fear of people. That need for approval. And we could go on and on and on, couldn't we? And so we think, well, that's just me. God knows. Jesus died for he's forgiven me. God knows. That's just me. No, it's not just you anymore. It's not true. You're born again. The Bible says that you are a new creation. And that the old has gone, and that the new has come. I wonder what the new you supposed to be like. Not like the old you. What's the new you to be like? Wow. Isn't that exciting though? Don't you think, wow, isn't, isn't this just bursting with possibility? See, when we, we, we preach the gospel, when we tell people to, through the Alpha Course or, or, or whatever we're telling people, we're not just telling them about the cross and, and Jesus, you're forgiven now. We're telling them that life is full, bursting with possibilities through Christ. Possibilities to be different. Possibilities to be this new creation who's transformed by the gospel, who's so different from what you've ever been before. Yeah? I think that's pretty good myself. I think that's good news. You say there's someone who's in prison and has never known anything else. There's a whole world out there for you to live. There's blue sky, there's glorious scenery, there's nature, there's animals, there's, there's beauty, there's everything. It's all there to explore and you've lived in four walls all of your life. 
dare we hope we could be part of that? Yes, we can. We are a new creation and the old has gone and the new has come. Lord, the Bible tells me that sin has no right to hold any one of us captive anymore. But we need to learn to walk in our freedom. And so the Apostle Paul says this in his letter to the Philippians, verses 12 and 13 of chapter 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is, this is a fear and trembling that's a bit, bit scary, but trusting God and, and daring to believe you can be more than you've ever thought. For it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Don't define yourself by your upbringing, your background, your experience thus far. Let the word of God define you. Let the word of God shape you. Let the truth of what Jesus says give you hope. We need to work out our salvation in our lives. And we start doing that by facing the truth about ourselves. We're forgiven. We're clothed in the righteousness of Christ so we can walk free from sin. The Father doesn't condemn us anymore. But we still have to face the truth. Does anybody here, anything in your life you're ashamed of? Good on you. Everybody's got stuff. Thoughts, attitudes, things you've done, things you still do. We'd rather not face it. We'd rather go, oh, it's okay. I talked to you before about the word of God being a mirror, you know, and God says, have a look in here. And you look at it and go, oh, I don't want to see that, thank you. Because I see what I'm really like. But that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. You see, the route to freedom starts by facing the truth about ourselves and our sin, not in a way that we wallow in it, not in a way that we beat ourselves up because of what we see, but rather we begin to face up to what needs dealing with so we can walk free. My second point is finding God's grace. The problem with admitting we struggle with sin is that we're worried about admitting it to ourselves and and to others and even to God. As I said, we'd rather not face the truth. We'd, we, we like to think we're better than we are. Don't you? Well, you're worse than you think. Let me encourage you this morning. You are worse than you think. Wow, isn't God's grace good? Isn't the cross good? Because we're worse than we think and he died for us anyway. He loves us. The route to freedom starts with facing what we're really like head on. And then we'd like to look good in other people's eyes, wouldn't we? I mean, I really want Raj to think well of me. But I might just go, have a peek. Dare I go, are you really like that? Worse. You've only seen a little bit. Oh, oh, oh. But when I get beyond needing to look good in other people's eyes, I start to take some risks 
and say, you know what, I'm not very good, but you know, now there's anybody else. So I dare to take some risks and find that when I go like that, he'll go, hey, I got one of those. Have a look. <laughs> Sorry, it sounds a bit indecent. I didn't mean that. <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to. Sorry. But do, do, you know where I'm coming from. Move on. Think safest to just dig a bigger hole. <laughs> we all want people to think well of us, don't we? Don't we? Oh, I battled with that so much growing up. You know, the problem is if you spend all your life wanting everybody to think well of you, you become a yes person. You become a person who always does everything to please everybody else rather than face the truth about ourselves. Challenge, eh? You see, we're scared that if people really knew what we were like, they'd turn away from us or they'd ridicule us. It is a risk. And then while we know that God loves us, we really worry perhaps that if he knew, if he knew what we were like, he'd give up on us. <laughs> well, you need to know, God will never give up on you and he will never give up on me, ever. But he knows what you're like and he knows you better than you know yourself. So just settle for it. <laughs> it says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Warts and all, Jesus died for all of it. Died for all of it. God will never give up upon us. We need to remember he knows everything, every thought, every deed, every motive of the heart. He knows it's better than we know ourselves. The Bible says in Romans 5, 7 and 8, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us. He shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's radical, isn't it? I mean, that's radically dealing with sin, but somebody's dealing with it on my behalf. That's God saying, I'm going to, it's so important, I'm going to deal with this for you. I'm going to cut sin out of your life, and it starts by me taking it on myself. That's radical love. That's, that's, That's the radical cross. And it goes to the root of everything. God knows every detail about every one of us. How many hairs we have on our head. Or not. God loves us today. Not because we've sorted out the issues in our lives, but because we put our trust in Jesus. And the Father, as we put our trust in Jesus, the Father took us and and has hidden us in his Son forever. Isn't that amazing? We're hidden in Christ. Hallelujah. Now we're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. We're loved today by the Father just as much as he loves Jesus. How do you feel? That's the truth, you see. It's not about your emotional experience here. The truth is, Father loves you just as much as he loves Jesus if you're born again. If you put your trust in Jesus, because you're hidden forever in Jesus. God doesn't judge you now by your performance, but by where you dwell. I'm hidden in the perfect one. Forever. Wow. So God doesn't point the finger at us. He, but, 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 
He loves us far too much to leave us as we are. He wants us to walk free of the things that will destroy our lives. And God, so, so he, he, he says, how, how does he do that? He shows us more and more grace. Interesting, the words that came this morning just fit in with this so much. God showers us with favor that we don't deserve and never will. And as we face the truth, he will give us grace to walk free. He will give us the resource to walk free. There's no condemnation from Father to us today. He said, I love you. Now here's grace. Here's favor from me that will enable you to walk out your prison cell of sin and to learn to live as my child. Come on now. I give you grace to do that. You're not on your own. I will walk with you every minute of every day. And you know what? We will sometimes fail. Ever tried something and got it wrong? sometimes fail perhaps we want to run back perhaps we will run back to the old ways because we, we stamp our foot and say oh, I told you it wouldn't work do you ever do that? I tried <laughs> do you ever do that? petulant oh, you know God still loves us when we do that and we do that and God comes out and he, he just waits till we get to the end of ourselves and then he comes still love you yeah but it, uh, well, come on more grace then more grace try it again Try it again. Learn to walk free. Sometimes we'll give up on ourselves. God will never, never, never give up on us. Even when we fail and run away. God increases his grace to us and increasingly gives us the strength to walk as children of God. You see, Dennis's word about sowing is not just telling people about Jesus. It's about sowing the truth of the gospel into our own lives and living it out. Does that, does that make sense? It's like we see sowing as evangelism, I have to do. It's a thing I have to do. No, evangelism is being full of God and living it out and being evangelistic, being a child of God in a sensitive world, not just telling people about Jesus from a distance. And so part of the sowing is sowing the truth into my life and living free and living so free that people go, what are you on? I'm on Jesus, what are you on? Do do you see what I'm saying? That's the Christian life. It's the life that demonstrates something. Now that doesn't mean we shouldn't be telling people about Jesus and sowing in all sorts of ways and sowing financially into the kingdom of God. But it all comes from this place of grace and faith. So let's not ignore the truth about what we're like. Let's not turn away and try to hide from God. Because God loves us today with a passion and a desire for our, well, for our well-being that's overwhelming. Overwhelming. And as we find his grace, as we press into his grace, so we will learn to walk free. You see, and Christian shared this earlier, the, the most amazing thing about God's grace is that people don't fall from it, they fall into it. You know, we, we, when somebody sins, you get used to hear the phrase, oh, they've fallen from grace. Rubbish! That's just not true. They fell over into a huge pool of grace and no condemnation. 
And it's grace that holds us, and it's grace that restores us, and it's grace that sets us free, and it's grace that gives us hope again, and it's favor of God that comes to us, and it's favor of God that comes to us and says, you can be free, and you begin to dare to believe, I can live this life, and I can walk as a child of God, and even if I've struggled for 30, 40, 50 years as a Christian, there's still loads of possibility, and there's still loads of potential because of God's grace. Do you get it? You get it? So, so important. And my last point, walking free, is a very short one. God's best is that we all keep learning to walk in who we really are in Christ. Growing to be like Jesus in thought, in word, and deed. We're all on the journey of learning about this life he has for us. The calling he has for us, the power he has for us, and the authority he has for us. I've literally given my life for this stuff. And you know what? I haven't finished yet. I'm off to Africa. I'm off to Turkey. And more places. And it's not just me, it's not just Gina, it's not just Jonathan Angela or Sarushan Mavash who are taking to Turkey. It's we as a people are off on a journey in God of being children of God who dare to believe this and say we as a people are going to walk free and become hugely significant in the purposes of God. And it's all by grace. Got it? I hope I'm, I'm just awakening hope really to dare to believe this is a possibility. Because that's what God has for us. In all of this, our aim should be to walk free, not comparing ourselves with others, but seeking personally to follow Jesus. Not criticizing others because they are ahead of us or, or behind us in their walk, but rather being willing to help one another on the journey of walking free. You see, we all have strengths and weaknesses. Because we're on the journey together, we can help one another. So where Raj is strong, I'll say, Roger, I need your strength. Where I'm strong, I can, and, and Raj and I say, here, have some strength. We encourage, we build up, we, we motivate, we stand shoulder to shoulder. It's called the body of Christ. And it's glorious. A people full of potential. Fulfilling their potential. Wow, walking free. I want to finish by reading Romans 6, 15 to 20. And I, I could preach forever on this passage, but I'm just going to read it and let it stand. And then, then we're done. Apostle Paul writes, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one to whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or to, of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms, Paul says, because of your natural limitations. For just as once you presented your members, your different parts of your body as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your body, your, your, all, all your faculties, everything you have as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard of righteousness. You could do what you like, but you're only heading in one direction. 
but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus on the cross dealt with our sin in the most radical way. He now invites us to be radical with ourselves and increasingly walk free as children of God. Let's stand, shall we?